Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be talking about it in relationship to the minor prophet Amos, and we're in chapter 5. We have all four of the first chapters up, as well as covering a lot of the other uh, minor prophets and many of the other New Testament epistles, all of which had a certain prophetic element to them, uh, but also telling you how things work in the kingdom because that's what Christ was preaching. The kingdom of God was at hand. It wasn't for the dead. It's not for after you die. It's for the living. He appointed a kingdom to the apostles, to his chosen called out ministers, and he told them to uh, do certain things in certain ways. And had been explaining that all through the Gospels, which was the good news. The Gospel is means the good news, and it was the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom was at hand. It was within your reach. It wasn't postponed. Whoever told you that it was postponed because the Jews didn't accept Jesus, which is an actual philosophy, theology that is floating around out there, that's absolute nonsense. All the all the apostles were Jews. They accepted him. The 70 accepted him. The 120 in the upper room. Thousands every day after Pentecost were accepting him. They, they were accepting him and their families. And that they were all Jews. There were also many uh, Gentiles, other nations. That's what Gentiles means. Just people from other nations that also accepted Jesus as the Christ, as the anointed king of the kingdom of God. Judah was the remnant of the kingdom of God. Israel was originally the kingdom of God on hand, on earth. And Jesus had said that he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees, who were sitting in the seat of Moses, according to the New Testament, according to the Testament of Christ. And he was going to appoint it to another who would bear fruit. But there's also a lot of prophecies about many coming in the name of Jesus that did not know him. And were actually doing contrary to the ways of Jesus Christ. Even though they think they're doing things according to Jesus Christ, many would be doing things so contrary to the the way of Jesus Christ that he would say, get ye from me, I know you not, and call those people who thought they were Christians, believe that they had received the Holy Spirit and that they were saved. He would tell them, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. So it would seem to behoove us to make sure, to double check, because we're told that all the time, there's all kinds of warning in the New Testament, uh, warnings about, you know, testing our faith to see if our faith is real. Uh, making sure that we're not under that strong delusion that the uh, epistles tell us about. That we're not pursuing 
a false image of Christ, a false image of the kingdom. We should be checking ourselves to make sure because if we do not pursue the kingdom, if we are deceived, which it warns us many times about being deceived and guarding against being deceived, we would return to the bondage of Egypt. We would curse our children with debt and bondage, that bondage of Egypt. I mean, you have to remember Israel, when it went into bondage, it was, there were not many people in Israel. It was the, the, the twelve tribes represented by the twelve patriarchs of those tribes that went into bondage in Egypt. It wasn't thousands, tens of thousands of Jews that went into bondage. It was just a handful of families that went into bondage. And probably their servants, their domestic servants that were a part of their households. They were fairly well-to-do. But the famine brought that all down. It all disappeared. It was gone. And we'll see this in Amos 5, the same Israel fallen. It has fallen many times. It has stumbled many times. The era of Balaam, which is referred to as the era of the Nicolaitan, that we see spoken of in the New Testament. They are the same. Same era. And so Israel went into bondage in Egypt. And 400 years later, their descendants, generation after generation, had been in bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years. But through crafts of state, through changes in the relationship of the people to the state and the relationship of the state to the people and the nature and the corruption that came into the state, the bondage had gotten worse and worse. It, it probably wasn't like Cecil B. DeMille's said it was <laughs> in the movie. But it was a system where a portion of your labor belonged to the government of Egypt. You had to work for them. But the, that was the bad side. But the good side was they took care of you in times of famine. And, you know, they provided a, a social welfare net for the people through the government. Because they were receiving one-fifth of the value of your labor every year. That was the bondage of Egypt. You were never to ever go back to that if you ever were to decide to have some sort of king or ruler, president, prime minister, or whatever, you know, somebody who could exercise authority, a chief executive officer, so to speak, or a commander-in-chief. You were to write down a constitution, which is spelled out in Deuteronomy 17, around verses 16. It says, you know, write this down, these rules for your king... To restrict his power, because we know power corrupts, and God was telling us how to write a constitution, and he had five things to put into that constitution, which we cover in the book, uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, uh, which you can read online. You don't have to buy a book from us. We're not selling books. I mean, we will sell you a hard copy, but... Uh, that's just to support this ministry. You can download it and print it out yourself. You can read it online. It's in 
different formats online that you can read it. But it's going to cost you if you want to read it and understand it. Because it's going to cost you that strong delusion you're already under. Because you're already in the bondage of Egypt. You already pay more than one-fifth of your labor to whatever government you're in. Australia, China, um, United States, Canada, all the South American countries, African countries. Everybody has a system where a portion of your labor belongs to the government and they must receive their share first. And that's the bondage of Egypt. Well, how do you run a government without that? Well, of course, America ran without your labor belonging to the government for over a hundred years. More than, well, more than a hundred years. Became one of the wealthiest nations in the world. And actually that wealth was so abundant that it spread to other nations who would follow some of the same principles. And those principles were based on the idea that we took care of the needy of our society through faith, hope, and charity. But along comes somebody like Augustus Caesar who thought, well, let's take care of the needy through taxation. Let's force the contribution. Let's, let's leave, no, leave nobody behind to make sure everybody pays their fair share so we will tax well, you know, we'll put the heavy taxes on the Gauls and and the people that we conquer, but we'll also tax the rich, you know, and they did that. And uh, they provided free bread for Romans and for the plebeians of Rome and for other nations. I mean, in, in the book uh, Covenants of the Gods, which we also have written in, and make available online and thy kingdom come uh, which is uh, available online and uh, we show you that Augustus Caesar whose name was actually Octavius Augustus and Caesar are titles but Octavius was loved by most of the people who lived in Israel we see these movies and TV shows where you know, everybody hated the Romans. Well, actually, they didn't hate the Romans. And probably you can get the uh, uh, cleverest uh, explanation of why they didn't hate the Romans <laughs> from uh, the comedian, John Cleese, who uh, talks about, yeah, what have the Romans ever done for us? Well, the roads and law and order and, you know, trade and all these things that they added to the society of Judea that made it prosper. It, it, it jumped in prosperity once the Romans were invited in by former kings of Judea. That's right. Rome was invited in. It, it, did, it wasn't an invading force. They asked. They actually sent money to the Romans to come and settle a dispute in Israel. Because they were confused as to who should be the king of Israel. They'd, they'd gotten a king way back under uh, Samuel. When Samuel was the prophet of Israel. And uh, they got a king, Saul. 
that didn't work out real well. First it seemed to work out, but then it got got worse and worse. He started forcing those contributions to support the military, which was a good cause, but the idea of forcing the contributions to support the military divided the people. It weakened the people. It it actually brings about the degeneration of the people. Not a new thing. Historians have talked about it. Historians of historians have talked about it for centuries. Uh, thousands of years we've known that if you institute the rule of force and violence to support the government, whether it's taking money away from other countries, you know, like they did uh, with the Versailles Treaty, or taxing your own population, that something takes place in society that weakens the people, degenerates the people, as they say, actually turns them into perfect savages. And we have articles showing you that historians, philosophers have all said the same thing for thousands of years. You don't learn that history in school that's all been removed from your school. And and even in college, most of them don't really learn it. Uh, I'm not sure what they're learning in colleges today. <laughs> I hear all kinds of reports. But uh, I, I that includes Bible colleges. Because for generations now, they haven't been teaching real history. Just before the program, we were hearing... You know, uh, references in the news, it was difficult to tell where, where the news was at on, uh, on some of the things they were saying. What is real history? What is the truth about history? What is the truth about the Bible? Amos is giving us a bird's eye view of history from the point of view of a minor prophet and a shepherd and a tender of evidently uh, an orchard. Where they grew figs. So this is what he did. But then he also goes out. And he becomes this prophet. Now exactly if he was a shepherd. He probably was to some degree. And he probably did tend to plants. I'm a shepherd. I actually have sheep. The church has sheep. And I'm I'm in charge of taking care of the sheep. It also has a few cows. I mean it's a tiny little bit. That helps keep uh, the church ground grazed off. So that we can have festivals there on the grounds and so the cows and sheep kind of support that operation uh, but uh, and it also feeds people and uh, but uh, we have the grounds so that we can have retreats on the grounds and we right now we're only having one retreat a year you know specific retreat we do have gatherings of people that come here all the time uh, but uh the big retreat is uh, the first uh, weekend of September, and uh, that's we call it the Burning Bush Festival, and it just kind of got that name. But it's a gathering of people. We have people coming from as far away as New York, uh, maybe from as far away as Florida. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to show up. We never know for sure where everybody's going to come from. We've had people from Australia come all the way here. That's a huge flight. <laughs> to come to the Bernie Bush Festival. But uh, it hasn't become real big. We haven't pushed it 
heavily. We didn't own the property at first. Now the church owns the property so that we can start to expand it. But you and the Holy Spirit have to expand that festival. So if you want to come, you can look up Burning Bush Festival. You can look up, go to our website at hisholychurch.org or preparingyou.com and uh, find out more about the festival. Join the network and uh, and come to the festival. And how big the festival gets will depend upon you. But the important thing is is that you begin to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because that was one of the first commands of John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, and certainly the apostles. And the kingdom of God is a way to live together in society that strengthens the poor. Strengthens the people. Creates bonds in society that can withstand the difficulties of plagues, of famines, of dearths in the land. That's what they called them in the New Testament, in uh, King James, depressions, what have you. And uh, the Bible is really about how the people can become the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's what Wycliffe said in the foreword to his translation of the Bible. That this was the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Which is very likely where Abraham Lincoln got that phrase. So, like I said, the Bible mentions religion five times in the Bible. Four times it mentions it in a bad sense. Only once does it mention it in a good sense. And most people who think they're practicing religion are doing the bad sense form of religion. They're not doing the pure religion that it speaks of in the Bible because they do not take care of the needy of society unspotted by the world. If you don't know what that means, look up our article on pure religion. So here we are at Amos 5, and we can do a a brief look at uh, the other chapters. We got Amos 1 introduces Amos as the shepherd and uh, talks about repeated transgressions of the people. Now, not only did they repeat the transgression, transgressions in those generations. These transgressions are repeated in many generations. Of course, it was the covetous practices of the Israel, the brothers of Joseph, who threw him into a pit of slavery and, and sold him into bondage. And of course, that's what happened. I saw, uh, on, uh, Early this morning, I was looking quickly through Facebook, and I saw um, Weinstein. I think it was not uh, Brett, but his brother Weinstein's page. Somebody had a picture of Pelosi and said, this woman is destroying our Constitution or altering it or something like that. And, uh, there, of course, this Pelosi has been around for a long time, but immediately I responded, no, it's the people's fault. You can blame it on Pelosi, you can blame it on Biden, you can blame it on Trump, but if things are going bad in America, it's Americans' fault. Because you're a scattered flock. Because you're a selfish flock. Because you're a slothful flock. 
because you're a greedy flock of people. And so, you know, the coyotes should take you on one by one. Because <laughs> you're already divided as a people. What unites that people, I added to our page on the Declaration of Independence. I put a sidebar there that explains what's what we're missing when we study the Declaration of Independence. Because almost everything that we were protesting in the Declaration of Independence was the reason we were going to dissolve those political bands which had connected us with the King of England. Uh, almost every single thing we were complaining about is law in America today. Kind of like the Communist Manifesto. Every item of the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto are law in America today. And if you didn't know that, You're part of the problem. Your ignorance, your lack of knowledge, which of course the Bible warns us, yea, but through the lack of knowledge. And that's where we're at. We lack knowledge. So that's why we're going to study Amos, is to see if we can get some of that knowledge back. But knowledge alone is not enough. You need to have knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not an emotional creature. It's not a product of your emotions. Your emotions are the product of a release of adrenalines and drugs in your body. They can give you feelings of euphoria. But that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes, awakens you, guides you. It is your comforter. I'm not your comforter. I'm not here to comfort you or to tickle your ears. So anyway, we also mentioned in Amos 1 that Amos was a poet. And so he wrote a lot of things differently. And like many poets, there's a lot of symbolism in his poetry. And we've been looking at some of that uh, symbolism uh, where he talks about returning to the captivity of Edom uh, and remembered not the brotherly covenant. Because, see, it is not political bands that unite a free society. Because political bands are usually united. Uh, what we see as political bands, union is based on contracts, covenants, and constitutions. It's, it's based upon agreements. But in a free society, it is the brotherly covenant, the covenant of love and caring for one another. And if you do not practice that caring for one another in what we Already have mentioned pure religion, taking care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. That's pure religion. If you use force at any stage in the caring for the needy of society, you are not practicing pure religion. Your religion is now spotted by that force. And if you're using government to apply that force, in other words, force the contributions of the people then you have spotted your religion. It's no longer pure religion. It's not, you know, somebody was talking to me just this last week about their church takes care of the needy. They take up a collection and take up, take care of the needy of their congregations or their church. How much so? Do they take care of 10% of the welfare of their church? 20% of the welfare of their church? Maybe they only take care of, you know, 5% of the welfare of their church. I don't know. But if somebody's taking care of most of the other, it's it's not pure religion. They're not practicing pure religion. And they need to understand that goal. 
But we're going to look at that in Amos when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, as I said, uh, Amos 1 was kind of an introduction to Amos, that he was going to be speaking uh, about the spiritual vices and virtues of society, that uh, he was going to talk about the returning to the captivity of Edom and that we no longer remember the brotherly covenant. And that's pretty much where we're at today in America and in the world is we don't remember the brotherly covenant. We we play at religion, but we certainly don't practice pure religion. But because most of the needy of society, most of the needs of society have been taken care of by men who exercise authority one over the other, which was forbidden by Christ in his instructions to his church, his called out group. Whenever you say the word church, if you are referring to the church in the wilderness or the church in the Bible, you're referring to the called out. That doesn't mean an assembly. That means the called out. The, they may assemble themselves, but it, there's other Greek words for assembly. And the church was the called out. The apostles were called out. The 70 were called out. The 120 in the upper room were called out. And the people decided to depend that baptism, at the point of baptism, you are now going to depend upon the social welfare that provided by the called out through the free contributions of the people as opposed to the provisions provided by the men who exercised authority one over the other, who were the fathers of the earth, the ones that you could pray to for those benefits that were provided at the expense of your neighbor. Now, all benefits, even the benefits provided by the church, are provided by and at the expense of your neighbor. The difference is the church, Christians, followers of Christ, are doing it through charity, which is another way of saying love, and the world is doing it through force and fealty and fear, and that is the dividing line between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world. Amos talks about these things and the transgression is that somehow or other you think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through men who exercise authority called government. But there are consequences for that. So in Amos 2 they talk about the consequences and talks about the many elements of a healthy society which begin to degenerate when you engage in these covetous practices, which Peter talks about, which uh, James talks about, which Paul talks about. But people seem to miss because they have ministers who are picking and choosing what they're going to share with you as the gospel, and they create this preconceived notion. And because you've stepped over the line... It becomes difficult for you to admit that you have transgressed, that you are the Nicolaitan. And, and God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitan. That's the deeds of Balaam, where you put this stumbling block in front of the people. And of course, it, we see that stumbling block put in place in the United States by men like FDR and LBJ, but lots of other people like Woodrow Wilson, they all shared in this idea, but 
You can't blame it on FDR or LBJ. We engaged in the covetous practices. So by Amos 3, he's talking about us returning to the bondage of Egypt. And that's exactly what we were saying at the beginning of the show, that this bondage of Egypt, which played, a, you know, not returning there, played an important part of Amos's prophecies. The Levites who should belong to God have horns of the altar shall, uh, shall be cut off. So, what are the horns of the altar? And we've started an article on horns of the altar. I'll probably expand on it more and more. It's, it's kind of an ambiguous concept. Uh, you have to understand, you have to go back into the Hebrew letters again and find out what, what do they mean, horns of the altar? Because these are all symbolic. And of course, Amos depends upon this symbolism in the writing of his poem and his prophecy. But, the point is, is that as the horns of the altar are cut off uh, and fall to the ground, as Amos says, the great houses shall have an end, and the great wealth that was in Israel will will fall asunder. And all this is also related, which we see in Amos four, is this whole body of watchmen for Israel fail to warn the people. So who are the watchmen of today's society? Well, I guess that would be your newsmen and the news commentators. They're not telling you what's really going on. They've all sold out their position. Well, who should be telling you then? Well, the priests of your society. Well, who is who is that? I was telling somebody who's a minister just this week that the priests of your society are down at the welfare office because that's where you go to get your daily bread. You say the Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come when thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. You don't get your daily bread from the church in time of need. You don't get it from the congregations of the people. You get it from the men who exercise authority. That's where you pray for your daily bread. Those are the fathers of the earth who will take care of you. So, the people have returned to the bondage of Egypt. And like Sodom, they have become weakened. Like the foolish virgins, they have become weakened. And they are no longer dependent upon a system of free will offerings, but of forced offerings. And therefore, they will not bear fruit. They will actually curse their children. So by Amos 5, we see the captivity will come again because of your sloth in sacrifices and because you gave more power to your kings to take and take and take, as it says in Samuel 8. And they take. And they should take. Because then you will cry out. But God says in Samuel 8, that he will not hear you when you cry out. And of course, most people are not really crying out to God. They're just complaining. You know, crying out to the government and crying out to the media and crying out to their neighbor and just whining and crying. Because, but they're not crying out to God. And even if they did, God would not hear them unless something changes in their minds to allow them to hear from God. I mean, it, several places, and I have links there 
on the page that will show you where, you know, where in the Bible it says God will not hear you. And then you should be able to figure out from those articles and from reading those texts in the Bible what you have to do to be heard. So, anyway, that's Amos 5, but that's what we're supposed to be going in today. So, let's take a look at what they talk about in Amos 5. And begins with chapter, uh, begins with verse 1. Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. So, right away... He's trying to get the people to hear. And of course, that I'll tell you just right offhand, at least in one sense, the trick to getting God to hear you is that you hear others. Well, of course, you should hear the prophets who are warning you. The mountains of Samaria, which have been pretty much leveled and abandoned, they should be warning you as to what's going on. And... Uh, they're not. We are, but most are not. And so people, most people don't know what's going on. And even if you told them, they would not have ears to hear. But he's talking about, oh, house of Israel. Well, of course, when God, uh, Christ took the kingdom away from the Pharisees and appointed it to these other Jews, the apostles, I appoint unto you a kingdom, he states. He says it's going to be my good pleasure to appoint to my little flock a kingdom. He did so, and that was the church. For at least a thousand years, that church appointed by Christ operated by faith, open charity, and took care of the needy of society, and the societies that followed that way got stronger and stronger and stronger. There were other false versions of Christianity around during part of that time, and even though they depended somewhat on charity, their religion was spotted because they were also dependent upon the forced contributions of the people that were usually given to some king or ruler, and then that king or ruler would fund the church. Well, the church established by Christ would not take such funds, but the church established by other men like Constantine we're glad, that from the very beginning, we're glad to take those funds. And so they were creating a false form of Christianity. It's part of that deception that would come in. And now today, most churches follow after those ways of Balaam, ways of the Nicolaitan, and they have been conquered, and now they're back in the bondage of Egypt. Not conquered by the sword, but conquered by their own greed. The net was spread before them and they sat and ate with rulers and they were men of appetite and that appetite has made them accustomed to getting, living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. And of course this degenerated society to such a weak state that it was now suitable for tyrants and rulers that could lock down entire nations out of fear. Fear become an effective tool of such rulers of the people. So, verse 2 goes on and say, the virgin of Israel is fallen. Jesus talks about the foolish virgins. 
he talks about uh, adultery. Adultery, most of the time in the Bible, is national adultery. And this is what, of course, Israel has made deals with other people to obtain benefits at the expense of others. And, of course, this was well after Samuel 8 that we see Amos speaking. And not only Judea, Judah, but also Israel, divided into two kingdoms, both of them were depending upon men who exercise authority to take care of the needy of society. And that dissolved the brotherly covenant, the bands of the brotherly covenant, and created political bands which bound the people and weakened the people. So the virgin of Israel has fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her own land. There is none to raise her up. Verse 3, For thus saith the Lord God, The city that went out by a thousand shall leave a hundred. And that which went forth by a hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. So, there was going to be a huge die-off. And like uh, other prophets have talked about that the the wombs of their daughters shall be empty. And, you know, without those numbers, the people will diminish more and more. They were diminished not only in strength, but in numbers. And so it goes on in verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. So this is part of the prophecy, and again, like we've said earlier in Amos, a lot of these words have other means. They're symbolic of a particular thing, like the word Bethel. You know, it's from uh, a word, Biet, Yad, uh, Tav, uh, Elif, Lamad. And uh, it, its translation varies, but it's supposedly Bethel, Biet, has to do with the house, uh, Yad, has to do with the divine spark, and Tav has to do with faith, but one translation is the house of God. You could also say house of faith. It was an ancient place also, and a seat of worship in Ephraim, on the border of Benjamin, identified uh, with Luz, uh, which was its former name. You know, so it's a place, but it's also representing the house of God. And that's what the L, the Elif Lamad is at the end, God. So you got this, be it house of faith of God, or faith in God. But people did not have faith in God. They had faith in the God's many who were forcing the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of society. And we see that, you know, and he, and he also talks about Gilgal and uh, pass not Beersheba, and you can go into those individual words, but 
he says, Gilgal shall surely go into captivity. And of course, the people today in the world, they think, you know, America is the freest nation in the world and, you know, we ended slavery, but in, you know, we always think of Egypt as this place where everybody was a slave, but they actually did not meet the full qualification of a slave. If you read Egyptian history, they depended upon this system of corvi, where a portion of your labor belonged to the government, so they didn't need a large slave class. There weren't a lot of slaves. There were some, of course, slavery was in every nation, but they didn't think of them, they thought themselves as free, except for, you know, one-fifth of our labor had to go to the government. But even that small amount, 20% tax on your labor weakened the people. And then through crafts of state, that could often increase more and more. Same for instance, if you were charged 20% of your income in a household and you had more children, they could tack on a tax because you have more children. You have more labor that you're going to owe because you got more mouths to feed. So that was a way of creating kind of a graduated tax in Egypt. And of course, that's what they did through crafts of state to the point where people were actually aborting their children. That's casting out uh, fetuses according to the Bible. And there were ways to do that. We know in 600 uh, BC in the Hippocratic Oath that they said give no pessary. A pessary is... Uh, something you would take that would cause spontaneous abortion. So they had that, you know, 600 years before Christ, and they probably had it longer before the, than that. And people were actually aborting their children, you know, kind of like the one-child policies of Egypt, of of China, and it was Egypt's one-child policy to cut down on the number of Israelites living in their country. But Moses uh, had, you know, a brother Aaron and a sister Miriam. He was timely generated. He went full term. They just hid him. Uh, I don't know if they hid him to avoid the tax or or what, but uh, eventually he was drawn from the water and adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh and therefore became the heir to the throne of Pharaoh. But all this was coming about because people were beginning to cry out and God was hearing their cries. And of course we know God would only hear their cries when they heard the cries of one another. So there was evidently a movement of amongst the Israelites to take care of one another in the hard times created by slowdowns in the economy, etc. During the shutdowns recently in America and all over the world, we see large numbers of people doing absolutely nothing for their neighbor, not even thinking of coming to their neighbor's assistance. Uh, I gave one story where, you know, they tried to impose mass mandates up here and shut down businesses that did not force their customers to wear a mask, which to some degree is illegal for you to do. But they would come in and say, because you're not doing this, we would find the business or shut down the business or find the business every day it's open and not forcing all of its customers to wear masks. Well, they got away with that for a while, but then eventually people all showed up and said, what are you doing? 
Stop it. This is the only business in town. These are small towns, you know, a few hundred people in these towns. And they're trying to enforce these things on the people. And they literally drove them out by their presence. They became uncomfortable and left. They didn't do anything to them. They didn't hurt them or anything. (laughs) But they stood together a little bit and it gave them power. Uh, But they're not standing together at all in the way that they would need to in order to be a free people. And of course, this is what Egypt, Israel, and many of the Egyptians would have to learn during the famines, because the famines were so great, the government could not help all the people. People were going to go hungry, people were going to starve, there wasn't going to be any water. All these different problems were going to come about because of the plagues. And during that time, when we explain, this is why God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh and didn't let the people go, is they were learning what it means, the skills, to be a free people, which requires that you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And they had to learn that again, because they had lost that after 400 years in bondage. Well, you haven't been in bondage for 400 years in America or in Australia, but you're in bondage now for almost four generations. I mean, the bondage changes in degrees, but pretty much you went into bondage back in 1933. So now it's getting, you know, we're in the uh, 2021. So, you know, we're only 10 years away from 100 years in bondage. <laughs> so... <laughs> Because you don't own your labor anymore. Now, I, I admit that when it first started, it was only a few percentage points. Uh, you would have to be extremely rich to even pay a single dime in income tax when it first started. I mean, $10,000 back in 1933 could buy you three homes, maybe four homes, you know, maybe three homes in a rental. <laughs> you know, That was a lot of money, $10,000. And you didn't have to pay any taxes till you earned at least $10,000. Well, now people have to pay lots and lots of tax. The percentage in Social Security alone is tripled, quadrupled, etc. Uh, but um, the reality is is that uh, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. But the the detriment of that is it's weakening you as a people. And this is what Amos is telling them. Uh, in this lamentation, you have fallen. You're not a virgin anymore. You're making deals. You're making covenants with systems that exercise authority one over the other, which is an abandonment of Christ. Now, you still go to church and you sing your songs, but you've really abandoned the ways of Christ because you do not take care of one another with pure religion. You take care of one another through men who exercise authority. This empowers the authorities of the world and weakens the people and makes them a divided flock because you don't have those bands of love that bind you together. And this is what they were going to have to learn in Egypt. Uh, the Israelites and Egyptians, as I said as well, began to learn what it meant to take care of one another in hard times. Now you're about to get that opportunities because you're about to head into extremely hard times. A lot of death and destruction will probably come about in the next few years. Uh, to one degree or another, how fast, how quickly it will come, God should tell you if you need to know. 
But the fact is, what I'm telling you is you need to learn to live by faith, hope, and charity, which you've forgotten how to do. And there's no way to do that unless you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. No practical way of learning to do that unless you... Which is why Jesus commanded that his disciples make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that there would be a redistribution of wealth through charity. If you have redistribution of wealth through force, which is the way the socialists like to do it, the communists like to do it, you will end up with tens of thousands, millions upon millions even, of people that will die. And totalitarianism will be the rule of the day. So, as we see, go on in verse 6, Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel, in the house of God. Remember, we already looked at that word. So, that's what you need to do, and that's what we're trying to teach you, and that's why we're going through these minor prophets, but we'll have to come back to Keys of the Kingdom, to find out about the judgment of Wormwood. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in the house of God is failing the people at the time of Amos. The mountains of Samaria, which are the watchmen, which is supposed to be a group of people. And of course, who are those watchmen? Those watchmen are the priests of your society, the men who... Receive the contributions of the people. The people reward them with their contributions to take care of the needy of society. This is a, their offering to the men who they trust is a daily vote, a daily choice. This is the way a free society works. You, you see this guy really helps out people. He has a record of telling the truth. He has a record of charity. He's a very charitable person, a very forgiving person. Has the character of Christ. You support him. You give to him and then he takes those funds, what he doesn't need. He lives a modest life. He he takes what he doesn't need and he uses it to take care of the needy of society in a way that strengthens the poor. This is how a free society works. If you have a system where you are forced to offer by the men who receive, you know, the benefactors who exercise authority, they will be men, the men who seek those offices of authority will be men who want power. They're not men of charity. They're men of authority and power and, and exercising that authority and you will get a different caliber of people in your government. A free government, the people are free to contribute to that government. In a not free government, you don't have a choice. The choice is now in the hands of the person who not only receives your offering, but can force you to give the offering they think you ought to give. You Choice has gone out of your hands. You know, and, and like we quoted Archibald who says that without choice you become a human resource, a a person, a thing. And you've lost that choice. You don't get to decide how much to give or who to give it to. Somebody else has that power of choice. 
And they want you to give them more and more and more. And so that's how you get Pelosi's <laughs> and, and Biden's and, and FDR's and LBJ's in power. As because you've given up your power of choice. You think you still have a choice. You can still vote for this leader or that leader. But your vote of offering will be determined by the leader. Not by you. So you, you know instantly on looking at that formula that you're no longer free. But most people won't know that because they don't want to believe that they're not free. They want to imagine that they're free. And so they create an image in their mind that they're free and they worship that image because they want to believe they're free. They don't want to believe that they're in the bondage of Egypt. Well, as it gets worse and worse and worse, they will have greater and greater opportunity to admit it. But most of the time, people will simply blame it on, well, if we only get the Democrats out or if we only get the Republicans out or if we only get somebody out and we get our candidate in, everything will be great. But, and meanwhile, the... The supposed house of the Lord is just kind of a club. <laughs> it's, a, it's a place you go. It's a, what they would call today an affinity space. There's a, a new thing, I, a new term I was hearing them using this affinity spaces. And uh, I was reading a judicial watch on critical race theory investigation. Uh, records that... Uh, Massachusetts school district segregated students and staff based on race in what they call affinity spaces. And so I thought, affinity spaces? And they put that in quotes, so you had to look up, what what do they mean, affinity spaces? Well, you know, there's a a definition of affinity spaces. And and that definition basically comes down to the fact that it's a club. It's it's what we used to call clubs. You know, they talk about an astronomical affinity space. That's everybody inter, interested in astronomy gather together in this affinity space because they all have that interest in common. And so that that's just basically an astronomy club. But uh, when they have the affinity spaces for critical race theory, that or or. You can have affinity spaces because you're black. So they're segregating black people out into their affinity spaces because they have something in common. They're all black. But that's not really what you want to have in common. You want to be... Because see, immediately that's a racist concept because they're judging people based upon their skin color. And you should really, if you're going to have your clubs or your affinity spaces, you know, they always like to change these words a little bit. It's something Bill Gates used to do all the time with his software, that he would come up with a new upgrade for his software, and he kind of changed all the road signs in it. Instead of having that you go for help over here, they called it something different. And so then you had to figure out these two. It's a way of kind of keeping you off balance. Can you imagine if I did that with a border collie that, you know, I just all of a sudden decided I was going to change, you know, way to me, to come by and come by to wait to me. I'm just going to change the names of these commands. You know, sit doesn't mean sit anymore. I have to have to say it in some other language. And uh, 
it would just create confusion. Of course, confusion is what they want. But uh, so anyway, the, that's what an affinity space is. It's a club, and when you start having clubs where it's black only club, women only club, gay only club, uh, you're all you're doing is dividing people. They call it inclusion, but it's actually exclusion. And that's that's one of the amazing things is that they have these words like inclusion, which means exclusion, and they have uh, other words that come in where they're. You know, equity is actually inequity. (laughs) (laughs) And so they have all these different words that mean, they say they mean this, but they actually mean the opposite. So, but anyway, back to Amos and looking at Amos and and trying to figure out uh, where we're at uh, in this scheme of things that uh, Amos is revealing. Israel has fallen. It's made these covenants, so it's no longer virgin, virgin, uh, you know, it, it, or, or or committing national adultery because it's made agreements that are not in accordance to the ways of Christ, the ways of God, the Father, and it, it's done this in order to obtain benefits or to get out of the responsibility of society. That's what they were doing when they wanted to have King Saul. Is that they they wanted to have some king go fight their battles rather than be a part of the militia that was always fighting the battles for one another. And so when they did that, the bonds that were created in society when you came to each other's aid were no longer going to be created by coming to each other's aid. Instead, you were going to have political bands to connect you with Saul. So you're either going to be a supporter of Saul... Or when he got out of hand uh, and it was clear that David would make a better king, then you had supporters of David and you had the nation divided. Right now, if you try to have an insurrection or a revolution, the people would be so divided that they would just lead to absolute destruction. So anyway, they talk in that verse 6 about the house of Joseph and devour it and uh, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Well, this is, they're actually, these metaphors are the same thing that we see talked about in the New Testament where they talk about, be careful you do not bite one another lest ye be devoured. And that, of course, is what's taken place is that people have become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others and they've instituted the rule of force and violence in order to obtain social welfare at the expense of their neighbor through men who exercise authority. All contrary to the ways of God. And they don't know it because their prophets are not prophets but under a strong delusion. So in verse 7, as I said, uh, they're going to mention this thing called wormwood. Ye who turn judgment to wormwood. How do you turn judgment to wormwood? Well, of course, wormwood, that word is uh, lahana. Uh, it's uh, lamad, uh, ayan, uh, nun, hey, in the Hebrew. But it actually is also translated hemlock. Uh, bitterness. It's a metaphor for bitterness. 
So they turn judgment into bitterness. And the way they do that is they no longer exercise that power of judgment. They give the power of judgment to another who can exercise that power of judgment on their behalf. So ye who turn judgment to poison, to hemlock, to bitterness, and leave off righteousness in the earth. See, righteousness, you have the right Ye also are gods. Jesus said that. In other words, you also are judge. You have a right to judge. And see, in a free society, you get to judge who you think is the best priest of your society. The best, the person who would be the most self-sacrificing, who would use whatever funds or material possessions you donate to them to the best of his ability for the best of society. You get to make that choice. But if you choose not to make that choice, if you despise dominion, as Peter talks about, you despise the right to make that choice. Like teaching your kids at home. We taught our kids at home. We didn't send them away to school. You send them away to school, who gets to decide what they learn? You know, you can go join the PTA and go down to school board meetings, but... You have no idea what goes on in the classrooms. You have no idea. Have you read all your children's school books? Have you read them? If you haven't, you're not doing a good job. Because I would not only, I went out and bought them, I read them, I looked them over and, you know, and then I gave them to the kids. But you leave off righteousness. That would be righteous to, to really be careful what is being taught to your children. But if you leave that to somebody else to decide, then you turn judgment to bitterness. So in verse 8 we say, Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth for the waters of the sea poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So he's talking about the creator, uh, the God of nature, you know, and uh, natural law, as we see in the Declaration of Independence, uh, uh, they talk about this law of nature and nature's God. As I say many times, we live in a cause and effect universe. The system that God created is built in. Judgment is built into the system. If you decide to go down this way, XYZ is going to happen. If you decide to go down this way, ABC is going to happen. And what people have decided is to go the way of Cain, the way of Nimrod, the way of Balaam, the way of the Nicolaitan. And so they lost their freedom. Now if they want their freedom back... If you want to leave Egypt, so to speak, you have to learn the skills of freedom, which is how to take care of one another. Which brings us to verse 9. That strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong. So what does that mean? Strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong. So that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. This is what we have. 
I mean, you look at the... Not, I don't want to divide this into, you know, liberals and conservatives. Because conservatives, they're all over there on the left, too. They're just not as far left as the liberals and the... Uh, and the progressive liberals who believe that it's okay to covet thy neighbor's goods. Uh, well, the, the conservative Republicans think it's okay to covet thy neighbor's go- goods. If you send your kids to public school, it's it must be okay to covet your neighbor's goods. Because little old ladies are going to be taxed until they can't even buy groceries. Or they lose their house. So that you can have free education. That's the system you have created for yourself. And so the the spoiled shall come against the fortress. The weakened shall be strong. And those that should be strong will be weak because they haven't really committed to the ways of righteousness. And so they they have no way of standing against the corruption of the world and this this force and fear that they bring upon you 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 couldn't stop these crazy mask mandates and uh, and now the force uh, injections that they're bringing to the people i mean many people have been coerced into getting these injections and they appear to be having a detrimental effect they you know how many people seem to get the uh, flu even though they've had the injection. They say, well, we didn't get it as bad. I'm not even sure you got it. You might be dealing with vaccinosis. You don't know what vaccinosis is? Look it up. Vaccinosis, what you see as symptoms of the flu may be symptoms of vaccinosis. But that's just the kind of the tip of the iceberg. The fact is our moral integrity is degenerating as we speak, has already degenerated. Where You can talk to people who think they're Christians, who think they've received the Holy Spirit, and they have difficulty in seeing that the entire systems of almost every nation in the world provides daily bread for the people, benefits for the people, through men who exercise authority which in essence is coveting your neighbor's goods through those men who call themselves benefactors. Don't give you money out of their pocket. I just saw today uh, when I looked at the news that uh, they voted, the Congress in uh, uh, California voted to give Governor Newsom a raise. <laughs> they just had tens of thousands of people want to impeach him but the Congress wants to give him a raise like he's hard up for money or something Uh, it's crazy it's crazy you've lost control you can't stop these guys you you can't even stop them with your vote you don't have an honest vote that people are going to be fighting for this honest vote and voter ID and all this stuff it will probably come to naught it probably because like it's Amos says at the beginning, you know, the virgin of Israel is fallen. This is both Republican and, and Democrat. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. You can you can fight, but you're like fighting at windmills. You're not going to solve the problem.
until you change. Back to verse 9. That strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong. Many of you who are strong in character are inadequately fighting against the weak of society. Mentally weak, physically weak of society. I mean, you look at Antifa. It's astounding uh, how weak and emaciated most of them look compared to what... But you have no defense against them. That They're storming the fortress. Uh, you Because your fortress is not rooted in the Basra of God. The fortress of God. You're, you're halfway a Christian, which is not, is like jumping halfway across a precipice. You got some good ideas in your Christianity, but you have, you know, strained at a net and swallowed a camel. And the idea that you can get free benefits at the expense of your neighbor through government is a gigantic camel. And you've swallowed it. You've been taking a bite out of one another until you've been devoured. So, this word fortress that we see there is uh, composed partly of, actually, uh, mem biet, sedic resh. So, anyway, the that's the word they have there for fortress. And uh, the mem... Is this flowing, be it house, uh, tzedek, righteousness, and resh, rule. Well, now, if we go look at, that word appears in many different ways. They add letters, they take away letters. And uh, we'd have to look at that particular one. And I may go back and refurbish my notes on that so that I have it a little bit clearer. But uh, the reality is this, Righteousness has to flow through the people uh, individually. God doesn't isn't going to flow righteousness through some charismatic character and then it flows down to the people. No, it flows into your hearts and then out into society. It has to be written upon your hearts. Righteousness has to be written upon your hearts. You cannot figure out righteousness, so therefore God has to divinely inspire you. We talked about the keys of the kingdom. That's it. But if you bind yourself in these systems of covetous practices, you cannot, God's not going to write upon your hearts because you've got greed already written upon your hearts. So you have to repent of that greed, strive, persevere. These are the words that Christ used to go the other way. And as you go the other way, then... And admit that you're wrong in the way that you've been going. Turn around and go this other way. Then your heart will become clear enough that God can start to write upon it. And if you accept the truth that God gives you and and start to operate in a more upright or righteous way, the fortress is created. But if you don't, then... Those who are spoiled will come against your fortress and you will not be able to stand against it because you're not righteous. This is back to the Republican. They have an element, I shouldn't even say Republican, let's say conservatives. 
because there's constitutionalists out there and all this, all these different sects and groups, affinity spaces, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and they have bits and pieces of the puzzle. But they have this huge stumbling block that gets in their way. You, you, if people think that there's a political solution, no, there's a spiritual solution. If you repent, think differently and realize that you cannot covet your neighbor's goods, that you have to care about your neighbor and his rights as much as you care about your own. You have to hear his cries and then God will hear yours. And divine intervention will not only inspire you as to what you need to do or say or see, but it will also interfere with those that are spoiled when they try to come against you. It can actually stop them in their tracks. Uh, amazingly. So in verse 10, they hate him that rebuketh in the gate. That's me. Rebuking you who have gone after these covetous practices and desired benefits at the expense of others. You have to turn away from that and go the other way. And I'm perfectly willing to wait, but time is clicking and time is running out. goes on to say, and they... Abhor him that speaketh uprightly. I'm telling you, I'm rebuking you in the gate. I'm saying you have to stop these covetous practices. You have to seek the kingdom of God, which operates by faith, hope, and charity, and stop operating by force, fear, and fealty. Even though you have good intentions, when Saul imposed a tax upon the people, forced a sacrifice of the people to support the army, He had good intentions, but he went about it in the wrong way. And and because of that, his kingdom will fall. Because of that, Amos says, the virgin of Israel is fallen and will not rise again. So in verse 11, we see, for as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor... And ye take from the burdens of wheat. Ye have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink wine of them. So in other words, you will not enjoy the fruit of your labor. Somebody else will enjoy the fruits of your labor. I always remember the story where a husband and a wife had, uh, bought a home. Uh, actually, they built a home and uh, they were paying it off. And uh, I think it was pretty much paid off. And he died of a heart attack. And she didn't have any skills to make the money. She couldn't pay the taxes. And eventually she owed $6 in tax. She had paid as much as she could and thought she had paid it all, and owing $6, they took this quarter-million-dollar home away from her. That's robbing widows. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back. So we were around verse uh, 11 there. They had been talking in verse 10 about, Hate him that rebuketh at the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh upright. And again, Amos the poet goes on, For as much, therefore, as you're treading the way you're walking, is upon the poor 
the needy of society, and ye take from him burdens of wheat, ye have built houses of hewn stone. Now we see the word hewn stone there. The actual word there just means hewn. Your houses are hewn, is what they're saying. You don't, if you don't pay taxes for a couple of years, they take your whole house away from you. You have a half million dollar home, you don't pay the taxes, they take the whole house away from you and they sell it on an auction. And of course that's what they did for the lady that I spoke of just before. I think she lived in Pennsylvania. They, she, she thought she had paid up the taxes. She was out scrambling to make a living. You know, in some places, some homes back east, there could be as much as $20,000 taxes a year, plus utilities, etc. So she's got to make that money, plus she's got, you know, food on her table and all this stuff. And uh, she was completely out of her depth. She was struggling, but she thought she had paid the taxes up and everything that was owed, but she was $6 short. And the county sold her property at auction. She did not realize. She had a language problem. And uh, she just was taken advantage of. And the guy who bought it, you know, he, he wanted the money he gave to the county back if he was going to give her the land. And she couldn't afford that. He paid, you know, pennies on the dollars for the value of the property. But he wasn't going to give the land back. The whole system was geared to robbing widows. Meanwhile, you everybody in Pennsylvania got to send their kids to free school at the expense of the widow. They were robbing the widows and orphans of society to provide you with benefits. You all still going to church. You all still singing in church in your little affinity clubs, affinity spaces, where you think you're saved. But you're actually workers of iniquity. And so I I thought that story and what Amos is saying here. For as much therefore as your treading is upon the poor. Which conservative and, and liberal do daily. And you take from him burdens of wheat. You take. You know that's that word you see in Samuel 8. Take and take and take and take. Ye have, as long as you do that, ye have built houses hewn where you don't even own your own house. You don't even own your own home. We've gone through that before. Legal title is an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. It is the antithesis of equitable title whom the law considers to be the true owner of the property. That's the definition of legal title. You don't own it. Somebody else owns it. And you know you don't own it. You just don't want to admit it. And you don't own it because the the mountains of Samaria didn't tell you what was going on. I mean, some people spoke up, but just like with this this whole coronavirus nonsense, you know, 99% chance of survival. 98% if you had two or more morbidities that you would still survive. It's the flu, for gosh sakes. They never counted them like this any other way. Now you have... You know, Dr. Bhakti saying that this, if you get this shot, it's the decimation. You're contributing to the decimation of humanity. And Dr. Luke uh, Montagnier 
It says that in a few years, people will be dying from ADE. Everybody who got the shot will be dying from ADE. Now, is he right? I don't know, but these are these are Nobel laureate, prize-winning, uh, most quoted scientists in the world. Uh, Dr. Key, you know, explains this. Dr. Suzuki at Georgetown University. They're all top in their fields, warning about this. Dr. Yaden used to be the vice president of Pfizer, warning nobody should get this. That they, you know, he's filed petitions. Nobody should get this injection if they ever hope to have children. <laughs> now, are they wrong? Well, these are the top scientists. You're going to follow the scientists. You have to have the debate. But the people that are in power now don't want the debate. They hate rebuke in the gates. They don't want. They don't want to be questioned. And the same is true in the churches. If you question their theology, they they think somehow you're a bad person. But all the minor prophets were questioning the theology of the establishment. Christ certainly did. Questioned the Pharisees and and warned against them. Took the kingdom away from them. I always thought that was so amazing. Oh, he said he was going to take the kingdom away. Did he? Well, he did. With the words of their own mouth. They said, we have no king but Caesar. They professed. He didn't have to come with a sword and take it. They had to denounce the kingdom of God for the kingdoms of the world. And don't we do that every day? When we don't pray to God for our daily bread, but we pray to the gods of the world who exercise authority one over the other, even though they call themselves benefactors, they're really only giving you what they took away from your neighbor. And you think you're a Christian? It doesn't work that way. It's built in to the system that your transgressions will bring about a cause and effect. Which we see in verse 12. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe. Take the benefit. Take the benefit. Is it any wonder that your leaders are taking bribes all the time? Aren't you taking a bribe? You're creating the government daily by your choices. They take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their uprightness. I think when that lady discovered that she had lost her home, it was sold at auction because she was $6 in arrears. Wasn't there anybody in the county government that say, well, you know, she's only $6 in the rear. You know, heck, I'll put up the $6. Just let's not take her home. No, nobody. Not one chose to do that. They, instead, they took her home away from her. Uh, eventually there was an outrage and they fought years later and eventually she got it but she spent thousands and thousands of dollars and time and energy and worry and frustration and she finally got it back but it cost way more to get it back because you're all robbers of widows and orphans 
during that whole process, people were still going to church thinking they're saved in Pennsylvania. Singing songs to Christ while they were working iniquity. The men they elected were working iniquity. The men that were appointed by men that they elected was working iniquity and robbing widows and orphans. It's horrible. And that's just one story. There are thousands, millions of such stories all the time. And nobody does anything about it. Because you're a divided flock. You're certainly not following Christ. You're under a strong delusion. But then, I guess you don't want to hear that in the gate. They turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you. As ye have spoken, hate the evil and love the good. Establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Jesus came that the whole world might be saved. The key word there is might be saved. Are you, are you really saved or are you just under a strong delusion? I know people don't want to hear that, but that's a question everybody should be asking. Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord saith thus, wailing shall be in all streets and they shall say in all the highways, alas, alas, they shall call the husbandmen to mourning, and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing. And in all the vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. What there, God created a cause and effect universe. You've gone this wrong way. Opposite of what Christ said to go. You've been led that way by false religion. Who tells you that religion is what you think about God when we know religion by definition, at least 200 years ago, as well as 2,000 years ago, was how you took care of the needy of society. And it was only pure religion if it was unspotted by the men who exercised authority, one over the other, the constitutional orders and systems of government. Because that's the word they use there in the Greek text. We've known that. Anybody who studies the Bible and studies Greek and, and looks at the original translations know. But if you were translating for King James, you can't write down constitutional order or system of government. So they put down the word world. Even though there are many words that are better translated world than that. They put that down because it would have never been passed. King James would have never allowed it to be published. I mean, the kings of England had already had people like Tyndale have his tongue cut out and burned at the stake for translating the Bible. 
They didn't want you to know what it really says. And they still don't want you to know. But the question is, do you want to know? Will you seek the truth? Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. If you won't let the light in, that's it will be dark for you. Because the effect, you've gone down this road of covetousness. The presence of the Lord will be like hot coals. Will be like a fire that will consume and devour you. It will not bring you life. Because you would not receive life. Because you did not care about the lives of others as much as you cared about your own life. As if a man did. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into a house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? For those who aren't going the way of the Lord, absolutely. He goes on to say in verse 21, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings... And your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. For I will not hear the melody of thy vials. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. You can sing your songs in church. You can stimulate an emotional feeling that you love Jesus. But are you doing the will of the Father? Are you going the way of the Father? Because I know where your offerings are. Your offerings are what you pay into Social Security, what you pay in income tax, what you pay in sales tax, what you pay in property tax. These are the offerings that you make to run your society. They are all based on force. So, is how can you imagine that you are free? You're back in the bondage of Egypt. You are not free. You may still owe these things. I'm not telling you not to pay these things. I'm saying you have to turn around your thinking and realize that a free society operates by faith, hope, and charity. Not force, fear, and fealty. But you have spent the last three, four, five, six generations going the opposite way. That Christ laid out. That Moses laid out. That the prophets laid out. And you are now been devoured. Because you have decided it was okay to take a bite out of your neighbor to get what you wanted. The net was spread before the bird, but he's still trapped in it. If sinners entice thee and say, let's all have one purse and then we will make gain. You know, socialism. Then that spread before you, but you didn't see it. That you will be captured in your own net. This is Proverbs says. This is what Peter says. And you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Which is what Paul says. Yeah, all you have to do is believe. But if the, 
you say with your mouth, your lips, but with your actions, you say, I disobey Christ. I disobey the Father. I do contrary to the will of the Father. Then you are not saved because your confession with your mouth is a lie. You are a liar. And it's easy to lie if others will lie with you. But if you will admit the lie, that is the beginning of repentance. Now you can have God's way written on your heart and your mind. And so if you're a minister of Christ, you would want to do what Christ commanded. Make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start practicing pure religion. Or at least striving towards pure religion to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Can you do that? Will you do that? And so that's why he says in that verse 23, Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. Because your singing may give you an emotional feeling, but it's noise to God. Because he hears all. For I will not hear the melody of thy vials, but let judgment run down as water and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness for forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Cheon, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So you have gone into captivity. You don't own at least 20% of your labor, probably more. I mean, even a poor person's going to pay 20% of their labor. They'll get some, you know, scraps of bread thrown back to them by the workers. Uh, of iniquity and the rulers of the world, the benefactors who exercise authority, the fathers of the earth. But they have gone back into captivity in every country. Every and and you have the card and number in your hand or in your wallet or in your mind to prove that you're in captivity. That's what a karagma is that we see in the book of Revelation. A karagma is a badge of servitude. So what proves that you don't own a portion of your labor. You have a number to prove it. Now, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying that the, the ways of righteousness are righteous. The ways of unrighteousness are covetous. Unforgiving. Adulterous. And so, who is the Virgin of Israel? Most adultery and fornication mentioned in the Bible is national adultery. And they were into national adultery because they were making agreements with the woman of their society, the caregiver of their society, to obtain provisions by the rule of force. You know, Matthew Henry's uh, concise commentary goes on in talking about uh, this chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. The convincing, awakening words 
must be heard and heeded as well as words of comfort and peace. For whether we hear of forbear or forbear, the word of God shall take effect. That's right, because we live in a cause and effect universe created by nature and nature's God. The Lord still proclaims mercy to men, but they often expect deliverance from such self-invented forms as make their condemnation sure. While they refuse to come to Christ and to seek mercy and be by, and, and by Him that they may live, the fire of divine wrath breaks forth upon them. Men may make an idol of the world, the constitutional order and system of government, but will find it cannot protect them. This is what happened in Egypt. When the plagues came, the government couldn't protect them. They had to protect one another, and they couldn't do that unless they sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about one another as much as they care about themselves. Later on, Jethro established the tens, hundreds, and thousands, or talked about using those tens, hundreds, and thousands in their appeals court, but it was always there in their sharing for one another. Because that... Just as coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, you know, living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others through those men who exercise authority, instituting that rule of force and violence. Just as that alters you, degenerates you, if you go the way of Christ, which is this way of faith, hope, and charity, it will begin to awaken you to the point where you see things that you could not see before. It will open your eyes. It will remove the scales from your eyes. This is what he's telling you in the gospel. By verse 12, we see what is the manifold transgression in your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Their right to do what? Their right to their labor. Their right to their choices. They turn it aside. And, uh, you know, that, that particular phrase, turn aside. And again, there's a lot of different letters added and taken away in different places. But you, you see, nun tet vav, nun tet he as two different forms. But, uh, here the word, uh, appears, uh, as nun tet Hey, which is an emphasis letter. And it has to do with stretch out or extend or spread out or pitch or turn or pervert or bend or bow or fetch. It's got a lot of different definitions. But the idea is that behind the scenes, behind the nature of things, there's power moving in your society. That you have no control over. It's part of that cause and effect. Your your control stops at your choice. You choose this way, these powers will take over and influence the outcome. If you choose this way, the way of righteousness, the other uh, other results, the, the other cause and effects will take place. But you have to choose righteousness, not covetousness. 
You have to choose sacrifice, not greed. Not desire for power and control. So, if you read the pulpit commentaries, which explains there was money paid to escape the consequences of crime. We see that in Proverbs 6.35, but we also see it at the time of Samuel. That men were taking bribes. And so that the unjust were able to get by with injustice. Well, that certainly is going on today. Now, you can go read our side notes at Preparing You on Amos 5, and it will take you and show you other places where you see that. But you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You need to repent and seek the kingdom of God. Join us on the network at PreparingYou.com and join us at the festival and uh, begin to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Till then, God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.